homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today's guided meditation is on the five frequent contemplations. It's not an easy meditation in the sense of the meditation objects that the Buddha is asking us to meditate on. So let's request the blessings of the Triple Gem and make a strong determination, a strong intention that we try our best to stay on these meditation objects and to contemplate as deeply as we can as we go through the five. The first contemplation is, I am subject to old age, I'm not exempt from old age. Buddha asks us to look into any intoxication with youth that we have. We need to ask the question whether we have thoughts or views in our mind that say, I'm still young. I still look good for my age. I'm still strong, I have vitality. Or if I wear this, put this on my face, do all sorts of things, I still look young. Part of this meditation is to investigate that, to see whether there are those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of attitudes. It's important to investigate the polarity between youth and old age. Why is it that the Buddha is asking us to truly look at old age? When we look in the mirror, and we see our face, our body, is it an agreeable thing or a disagreeable thing? And over time do we see that it goes from an agreeable thing to a disagreeable thing as we age? How do we feel about that? Is there some kind of pain 
sadness, sorrow. What's the truth of this predicament? Do we all get to stay young? What is the skin like? What is the hair like? What is the energy in the body like? What is it like when our sense faculties age? Is the truth that our hair gets grey, turns white? Does our skin start to pucker, wrinkle, lose its elasticity? Do our sense faculties start to age? Things don't taste the same, feel the same, smell the same. Our eyesight isn't as good, our balance isn't as good. We can't hear as well. What are our teeth like? But remember, it's not just a personal thing. Buddha reminds us, we are all subject to age. It's our collective affliction, our collective predicament. When we see this truth, Buddha is asking us to find the relief in knowing it's a collective truth. If we want to create another ear, eyes, nose, body, and so on, then we are bound to the same kind of thing. We would be still of the nature to age. So collectively we are all trying to get out of this predicament. It's like peeling the onion of ignorance. If we can see even a little bit of truth, it helps us.
am in the second contemplation. I am subject to illness. I am not exempt from illness. We often forget that we are born with illness. Buddha calls hunger, thirst, having to urinate, having to defecate. Already four illnesses. We are ready of the nature to get sick. Then you add on top all the other things that come with this body. It's a very fragile vessel that we're in. So Buddha asks us to look at the intoxication with health. Is there any place where we can definitively say that we don't get sick, that we have good health? Investigate. Is that true? Is there any point where we're not sick, when we're a baby, when we're a toddler, when we are teenagers, when we are adults? And as we get older, what's the truth about sickness? Do we say to ourselves, I hardly get sick, or thank gosh it's not me who's getting sick, or maybe the thought comes, oh even if I get sick I get over it really quickly, but is that all true? Is this body really that powerful? Does the body fail us when it comes to hunger, thirst, needing to urinate and defecate, having the occasional sickness, having terminal illness, Having illnesses we don't even know the names of. So Buddha's true. I am subject to illness. I am not exempt from illness. But we are collectively joined together in this when we create this body. Remember the contemplation is not about personal dukkha. It's not about me getting cancer 
or me getting whatever it is or even our loved ones falling to certain terminal illnesses all those things are true but Buddha's meditation is to see collectively when we are bound to samsara we gravitate towards things which age which get sick then we can expect more of the same and so this meditation is to try and see through that see how things really are we don't get what we want we don't want to get old but we do we don't want to get sick but we do And so the third contemplation is, I am subject to death, I am not exempt from death. Buddha asks us to look at our intoxication with life. question to ask ourselves is how often do we contemplate death in a genuine sense and how often do we prioritize everything else over understanding that we are all subject to die How many of us get shocked when someone dies, when someone gets terminally sick? If we get really shocked, if we get into a lot of turmoil, it means we haven't done this contemplation enough, or maybe at all. And this contemplation is not an easy contemplation in the sense of looking at this truth, these truths. But when we start to contemplate as the Buddha has recommended, we start to develop right view. We start to bring ourselves back to right view. All constructions, all conditions, they're death-bound. This body that we have, it's death-bound. The minute it's born, it's death-bound. Our loved ones, our colleagues, our neighbours, 
our pets, all living creatures. The minute they're born, they're subject to death at some point. The Buddha asks us to contemplate what's in our minds most of the time when it comes to this intoxication with life. Do we say, oh, there's plenty of time, there's more life to live? I need to get more things. I need to do lots of things. I need to focus on my job first. Focus on my family first. Focus on my loved ones first. I need to go here and there. Yes, we need to do certain things. But what's Buddha asking us to do? It's to see, to balance out the intoxication of life with understanding it is our nature to, to die. We might not be able to see it yet, but it starts to balance out how we live our life, how we practice Dhamma, how we can mitigate the amount of pain we go through in this life. It's important to investigate the thoughts that we have around death, around sickness, around old age. But in this case, around death, do we see death clearly? Do we see that this body reverts to its elements when the breath leaves the body, when the heat leaves the body, when the water element leaves the body, when the earth element starts to decay? And it's not simply about personal loss, personal suffering around death. It's collectively, we are all in this same boat. But if we see it clearly, then there's something we can do about it so that we don't recreate the same or similar situation again, bound to samsara. Buddha is telling us to search for what doesn't age, for what doesn't get sick, for what doesn't die. Not to search for those that do that, because we don't get what we want. In the lives that we've lived thus far, whether we're still young in age or older, 
Have we found yet a place, a thing, a scenario where we don't age, we don't get sick, we don't die? In samsara, the answer is no. Buddha points us to Nibbana. Nibbana which is free of sensual desire, free of defilements, free of greed, hatred and delusion, free of ignorance, free of the taints, So we come to the fourth frequent contemplation. I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. When we meditate on this, we investigate everything that we gravitate towards, that is dear, that is agreeable. What happens to those things? What happens to those people? Buddha is asking us to contemplate everything that we hold dear, everything that we think is agreeable. Most, if not all of it, is subject to decay, maybe subject to illness, and definitely subject to death. It can be a material object. It can be a business. And it most certainly can be people. That's the ignoble search. In order to be happy, isn't it true that we search for things which are subject to decay, subject to illness, subject to death? And so whether it is through their death or our death, we'll be separated. Bring some examples to the meditation. It could be a mobile phone. It could be a plate of food. It could be a loved one or someone that we work with. And think I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything that is dear and agreeable to me.
And aging happens all the time. Illness happens all the time. Death can come at any moment. And this is a collective predicament. Whatever we find that is dear and agreeable is subject to change, either through aging, sickness or death, or circumstances. And when that happens, we experience Dukkha again. So Buddha's counsel in the first instance is to say, be very cautious on what we hold dear and agreeable. Start to see the truth of how things really are. That's the first thing that Buddha is counseling us. But more importantly, Buddha is counseling us To not hold so tightly, to not make things so dear and agreeable, to develop equanimity so that we don't cause suffering or pain for ourselves and nor do we cause it for other people. That right view permeates that the fragrance of right view permeates our activity, the way we live our lives, the way we deal with people and things. We honour our relationships, we take care of our belongings, but we see through, we know the truth, and we start to practice accordingly. We start to develop more compassion, more kindness. And then the final frequent contemplation is I am the owner of my kamma, the heir of my kamma. I have kamma as my origin, kamma as my relative, kamma as my resort. I will be the heir of whatever kamma. If we do wholesome karma, then we can have wholesome results. 
If we do unwholesome karma, we will have unwholesome results and we will be the heir of those, whatever they are. What Buddha wants us to contemplate here is to genuinely see that there are repercussions, ramifications for all that we do. The first contemplation here in looking at this one is how did I create this body? This body is created from our past karma. intention is a very important part of karma. Whatever we intend, then we undertake activity, then we get the result. So if we intend to create another eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, because of something that we find dear and agreeable, something that we don't see as death-bound, that we don't see as getting sick, as we don't see as aging, then we have wrong view. In the sense that we are bound to samsara and we will create another body, you know, ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body, mind, accordingly. But we don't know where it will be born. How is our sila, our virtue? If our virtue is poor, it could be in a lower realm. We just don't know. There is risk that Buddha wants us to contemplate. The risk of being bound to samsara. The risk of not comprehending that we are the owners of our karma. Whatever we do. It is our origin, it is our relative, and we are bound to our karma. The Buddha asks us to contemplate through our thinking, through our views. Do we think, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter what I do. It'll be alright. There's no consequences for my actions. Do we have this kind of thought? Even a small kind of thought towards that. Or do we have other kinds of thoughts? I'm going to return to oneness, to Brahma. I'm going to return to my eternal self. Or is there another thought that says, after I die, it's all finished. And there are all different kinds of permutations with uh, those kinds of thoughts and views. 
The Buddha asks us not to think in any of those ways, any permutations of those ways. Right view always includes the correct understanding of karma. So we need to investigate where our thinking is at, where our view is at, because our actions, both by physical, verbal and mental, they follow our thinking, our views, our attitudes. And so in this meditation, we're checking how we think about karma. Buddha is always counseling. We are the owners of our karma, the heir of our karma. And that's what, out of wrong view, we end up in another body and subject to the whole mess of suffering. If we understand karma correctly, then we practice the Noble Eightfold Path correctly. We understand the reason why we keep virtue, why we develop the mind, why we try to realize wisdom from the Buddha's teaching. It all makes sense. We are the owners of our karma, heir of our karma. When we truly see this, we know that virtue is very important. Not only virtue, but higher virtue. We remember other meditations. We need virtue in order to cultivate metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. And when we understand karma correctly, then we understand why we don't focus on personal dukkha. Each person is the owner of their karma, the heir of their karma. They have karma as their origin, karma as their relative, karma as their result, and they will be the heir of their karma. So we are collectively all subject to old age, illness, death, 
and to be separated from everything and everyone that is dear and agreeable. So when you see someone else's circumstances, you understand they are the owner of their karma, heir of their karma. Likewise with ourselves. What is happening right now is a result of our past karma. So there is no need to make more out of personal karma. The only way out of samsara is to see the collective truths and to lift ourselves out of personal me and mine and to see anicca dukkha natta in the correct way with the right view. When we see we are subject to old age, sickness and death, we see the unlasting nature, the impermanence of what we have created. We see the dukkha, the whole mass of suffering that comes with going with all of these things, including separation from what is pleasing and agreeable. We are always united at some point with what is displeasing, what is disagreeable. We never get what we want. That's the Buddha's teaching. Not in samsara, we don't get what we want. And we can see karma playing out through all of it. The more we meditate in this way, the more a sense of relief comes, an understanding of where the Buddha is really coming from. A side effect may be that we don't toil as much at the things that are ignoble, that we have a more balanced view and approach to life naturally, out of wisdom. And we don't struggle and go to extremes of emotions and feelings because we misapprehend old age, sickness and death, being parted from what is dear and agreeable. We anticipate, we expect these things. We don't have to like them, but we're prepared. We know that collectively this is our predicament. There is some lightness in knowing that. And maybe as a result of that, our actions through body, speech and mind are kinder less cruel, less imbued with ill will and leaning towards letting go not fighting 
these truths. Maybe we can forgive a little easier. Open up a little bit more as a result of these things. No longer feel it's necessary to hold grudges. And we can wish others to be free of suffering, to be free of being bound to samsara as well when we see it for ourselves. We wouldn't wish this on our loved ones. We wouldn't wish this on our enemies and all the people and living creatures that we know and don't know. So we can be grateful to the Buddha for this wonderful teaching, pointing to what is difficult to contemplate, but always encouraging us to do so. So we can end the meditation here, sharing the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free of suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem to all of you. Wishing you well. Thiruvansaranai.